0: Welcome back to the cinema, folks. I sure hope you didn't lose your minds over that new humdinger of a film. But most importantly, welcome to AA CinemaCast, the most in-depth bi-weekly movie podcast hosted by two best friends, Mr. Anthony Dalpiaz and Mr. Adam Schwartz. Every other week, a new film, from Alien to Rear Window, and from The Muppets to Jurassic Park. Give it a listen, give it a like, and be sure to tell all your friends about AA CinemaCast. Welcome to AA CinemaCast, your weekly cinema fix. This week we are talking about the 2002 Steven Spielberg film Minority Report.
1: And we have a special guest with us, our good
0: friend Scott Peterson.
2: How's it going, everybody?
0: Not too bad, not too bad. Yourself?
2: Doing pretty well. I'm ready to talk about some Minority Report. Yeah. yeah. If I remember, did I introduce you guys to this movie? I seem to remember, like, in, why, like getting everybody to watch this movie back in yeah, undergrad. You, you
1: introduced me to it our senior year of college, which I realized it's been over four years since I first watched this movie with you. Yeah, and
2: uh, we were watching it really, we watched it with Grant. <laughs> I remember watching it with Grant.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: Um, <laughs> And, like, everybody was, like, I was, like, super into it, and I remember talking it up a lot, and I was, like, let's just put it on. Like, we haven't watched it. I've been talking about it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, just, so I remember watching that uh, undergrad, like, real late at night. Um, maybe, Adam, I don't know, I can't remember if you were there or not. I remember Grant was there.
0: <laughs> I, I was not there because I'd never seen this movie before until really? two days ago. I watched <laughs> it, uh, sat down, we're all social distancing, sat down mm-hmm. with my family, and we watched it for all of us for the first time. Um, and I have some feelings about the film, but, okay. um, We'll we'll go into some some I guess uh, general impressions here. So Scott, we brought you on because you love this movie. I do. So so what do you love about Minority Report?
2: So like the first thing like I want to bring up is that the the movie is based okay the movie's based on a book mm-hmm. uh, by Philip K. Dick and I don't know if any of you have read any Philip K. Dick. Um, mm-hmm. it he's he's weird he's weird as shit. Like it, it's like super like psychedelic 60s 70s Mm sci-fi um and like this actually was like really good timing because i'm writing a paper on one of his short stories for one of my like uh, finals right now Mm -hmm. um and i think like what's important to remember is that like a lot a lot a lot of his books have been turned into very successful movies and like tv shows Mm -hmm. so like not only minority report but like both blade runners were philip k dick books Uh, Adjustment Bureau was also a Phil K. Dick book. Mm -hmm. Um, Man in the High Castle, which is a TV show on Amazon that has like four seasons. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's like a load of other ones. Total Recall is also one. So like he has all of these sci-fi stories that are like spawned into like big budget movies, though Mm -hmm. a lot of the movies tend to glorify a lot of the action Mm because a lot of his books are a lot more slow paced than his the movies are um mm-hmm. but like they make for really good sci-fi movies i would argue that minority report and especially blade runner one and two mm-hmm. i think are sci-fi just masterpieces i think they are great concepts and and I, and that like you asked me like what i like about minority report the most that's what i would go to like it's a concept that is really well thought out mm-hmm. and it's like so it, it presents it to you and then it's like all right let's have some fun with it so we we understand that hey like the they predict the future and stop crimes before they happen but then we get like a nice murder mystery going around that um mm-hmm. and i think that it's just well thought out and it's spielberg so of course it looks really good even mm-hmm. for a movie that's from was it 2002
3: mm-hmm.
2: i think that a movie like i think everything looks just as good as it did like it it ages really well which is kind of hard for sci-fi Mm-hmm. especially when you get advancements in, like, CGI and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and and we'll get into that more, but I think I think that's why this one has always stick stuck with me, is I think it's a really good concept, and the movie takes its time. It's not always an action movie. Like, there is, like, the ending of the movie isn't a big action set piece, like like a sci-fi movie usually would have, right? Mm-hmm. This is a very kind of, like, slow burn at times. Um, mm-hmm. And But mm-hmm. I think I think it works for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For me, this being my first time seeing it, um, th- it struck me the, and not having read the original story or read any of um, Philip K. Dick's work before, um, but the movie had a lot of surprisingly comedic moments in it.
2: That is the one thing, if you had to ask me, like, what I don't like. There is like a couple moments, and it's like, oh, that was weird. Like, it's nothing too jarring, but like, it's it is, there are some moments where it's like, oh yeah, that's a little strange. Like um,
0: the, the trope of in the future, because this is 2054 is when this movie takes place. Um, like the trope of in the future, some people are just weird. It kind yeah, of bugs. Kind me. Of. Like the like Dr. Heineman. Like I get that she oh she's geneticist. She works. She's working with plants currently but she talks so cryptically for like no reason and the other big character that stuck out to me was the sentry who watches over everyone who's been haloed and he like plays the organ and is like it soothes them it's like why are you so weird
2: (laughs) i think something that that could attest to that and and like feel free to stop me if i if i ramble but i think what I think is important to note with Minority Report and especially with Blade Runner is mm-hmm. that these mo- both of these movies are like they're a noir film. This is like a no- a sci-fi noir film, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of the characters play up to that kind of stereotype. So it's like we have crypt- like people that he's investigating, and everybody's very cryptic, in um, okay. its style. So like it's kind of like a detective story, but they're all like these like almost archetypal characters. That, that are being presented but in a sci-fi genre gotcha. um, and and I think Blade Runner does that more than this one does but I think that's that's what they were going for and yeah sometimes it is a little bit jarring um it's very slapsticky at times yeah <laughs> um which is kind of strange but I would have loved to have known why they went into like hey we're gonna do this we're gonna have this scene in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts, Anthony?
1: What do you think? I yeah, it's it's a fun one. I I remember yeah the first time I saw it, I was I was just impressed by how good it was. Like I I really liked the story. I like this idea that there are these three oracles that can <laughs> kind of predict the future and how that kind of there's a whole social commentary there on um, like. You know, stopping crimes before they happen and profiling. And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there a TV show based on this movie that there was?
2: There was um, it was on Fox, and it was awful. It was so bad. <laughs> um, for the longest time, it seemed that Fox had a tendency to be like, "We're gonna make a cop show," but like the, the, like buddy cops, where one of them is like, "This like this is the straight man," and like then we have the weird one. But it was always like some kind of horror sci-fi twist on it so like minority report was like well we have this detective and then we have one guy who could predict the future um so like one of the precogs was there not all three of them it was only one of them but he was like the weakest of the three so like he could remember things or see things into the future when it was convenient for the plot to have him do so yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It. It was like every other buddy cop thing. It was really dumb. Um, So, like, I wouldn't suggest... I've only seen a couple episodes. A lover of Minority Report, the movie, could only get a couple episodes in on the show because it was not worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. It was... Yeah, it was bad.
0: (laughs) I think one of the most striking things about this movie is the visuals and the cinematography and the way it looks Mm -hmm. Um, like it looks dirty. Like Mm -hmm. the, the whites are like so bright and the, like it's a very washed out looking film. Um, I'm curious. Yeah. I, so before I had seen it, I knew nothing about this movie um other than they use they can see into the future and predict crime i thought it was like a um a computer system i didn't know there was like three humans mm-hmm. who were doing this and so i was very thrown off when like the, one of the very first shots you see was one of the precogs saying murder and then like going into water i was like what <laughs> what is going on <laughs> i'm so confused um
2: well, like the way it describes, like, its technology, though, like, I'm, I, 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 this isn't a time travel movie, though it mm-hmm. kind of feels like one. Mm-hmm. It, it's not. But the way that it describes how it works, the scene that always stuck out to me and is one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Tom Cruise is describing to uh, Colin Farrell how it works. And he throws the ball on the table Mm-hmm. And he, and it's about to fall. And he says, why did you catch it? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, it was about to fall. He's like, but it didn't. You caught it. It was mm-hmm. going to, but you stopped it. And it mm-hmm. kind of like that always I felt was like, this. that's a really, really smart way of describing what they do. Yeah, um, Yeah, the murder is going to happen, but they could stop it beforehand. Like the ball is going to fall off the table eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was like just a genius way of like, and time travel movies always have a, a way of explaining things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one in particular always like really resonated with me. Like, yeah, okay, I get it. Moving mm-hmm. on. Kind of thing.
0: Now, as both of you being connoisseurs of sci-fi, um, the one thing that I always... One of my biggest gripes with just sci-fi films generally um, is the fact that you have you either like for example um iRobot takes place in like like 2018 or whatever like a year that's already passed but that's not yeah. a year um but like we have still like the slums of Chicago mm-hmm. paired with this super high-tech futuristic you know city and it's like it's so weird that like certain things have advanced other things are just like eh, whatever and what got me was the open I love the opening scene of the guy who's about to murder his wife for cheating on him mm-hmm. um and i mean you like oh this is going to be a very grounded looking film cuz you see this like old you know mid century townhouse set up in dc but then like at the end of the day tom cruise goes home to his like super futuristic apartment (laughs) and we see like the highway system like goes vertical at points and there's like a chase involving that and i'm like and there's mounted horse like horse mounted police (laughs) i'm like I'm there's some inconsistencies here that i'm a little confused on so like i guess
2: i've never thought about it like that Um,
0: what's your take on that i'm just
2: i guess my take would have to be, would probably be that they wanted to set this in in like a real world they wanted it to seem like it was like a real world setting mm-hmm. maybe um but while still making it feel lived in and relatable
3: mm-hmm.
2: but I totally could see why that was jarring like because it is yeah that 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 first scene like they're at a playground and the playground looks like it would today
3: mm-hmm. right. Yeah.
2: Except we're having now we have flying cars, and you're right, the guy's riding a horse. Yeah. Um, which I don't know. That's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I that's that's probably would be my my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Anthony?
1: I was thinking. So the movie takes place in 2054, right? Right. So it's not that much further in the future, right?
2: <laughs> you know, but, they, but they do, do have—it's further enough that they have vertical cars and flying cars. And also,
0: we have like flying cars. We yeah. have cars that are like on tracks, I guess, like on the highway or like some kind of system. But then we also have like free-roaming cars. Which can't travel on the vertical highway system. Which
2: do, even... people, do people have three different
0: cars? Yeah, it's like I fly, I glide, and I drive.
2: And yeah, I have like this like train system thing, yeah. and it's like they don't have it all in one. They haven't figured it out yet.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> like it, it was just a little confusing. I was like, okay, oh, these are how cars look, but then there's a chase in a car factory, but then there's horses, and there's the flying. Th-
2: i will say to comment on the horses bit uh, and no no honestly hear me out um so i apologize beforehand that if i comment on blade runner a lot because i love blade runner and i don't know if anybody have either of you seen that yeah i haven't (laughs) i love blade runner and i think the second one is near perfect um so when you watch blade runner do you watch the director's cut you have, you have to watch the final cut. The final, the final cut. one. Okay. I saw I,
3: it on Netflix.
2: Yeah, that's the one on Netflix because I originally I watched the director's cut and I hated it, and it took me years to go back to it. Mm. Um, but since both of these movies are written, originally written by the same guy, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of some a lot of meshing going on. Mm-hmm. And I know throughout a lot of his books, he always commented on these, like, sci-fi, sci-fi worlds involving animals. Mm-hmm. Um, And particularly in Blade Runner, none of the animals were real. And
3: right, it was, like, right.
2: a big story point that the animals were fake in the book.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I think maybe they wanted to, like, homage to that by saying, hey, here's this animal in this hi- sci-fi world. The point being, Philip K. Dick always wanted to show, like, how the natural world is shown in a sci-fi world like this, so maybe there's something there with that. I don't know if that's something you guys want to bite at, but like, that's that could be something. I don't, I don't know. It is a little odd that he uh, he's on a horse. Maybe just because it looks cool. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> um, to see that.
0: Yeah, but you were you were saying, Anthony, that um, this isn't too far off. Um, so did you have a, a comment to there? A comment there oh i was just
1: thinking i could i could still see people using horses <laughs> 50, what 20 years from now
0: yeah it's you know? not too far-fetched or 30. Yeah. What did, <laughs> say 20
1: years from now it's only 2020. i don't know where my head's at <laughs> you're right. over 30 years from now 34 years from now or so
0: yeah it, it i will say the action sequences going back to the car factory scene which was also just a tad confusing because we see all these cars on a conveyor belt being assembled. I'm like, cool, awesome. And then you think, oh, Tom Cruise got like trapped under one of the seats when it got bolted down. Then, oh, he's fine. Okay, cool. But then, like, the doors to like from like the paint room, whatever, like open up and he just drives out and there's multiple no cars there. Just like is everything single card made to order? Like is there a lot of people waiting? Like, hey, that's my car as he drives the, <laughs> the guy's sitting there, I already
2: paid for it.
0: <laughs> um but like the the weaponry in this and I always appreciate it when sci-fi or fantasy, I'm uh, thinking of like Game of Thrones as an example, they don't spend so much time they show they don't tell with their weapons. Oh yeah. Um, so like we see the first major weapon um is like the six stick and you just hear at hear that name and you're like I think I know what this might do and then we see someone get hit with it and they instantly vomit and you're like okay it does exactly what I thought it was going to do. <laughs> exactly what I thought it did. And like we then have the kind of like sonic shotgun. Type thing, which we don't even get a name for, but they just show it. And I really appreciate that, yes, this world has jetpacks, which is another form of transportation that no one seems to use, but it's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but like we have jetpacks and the six stick and the shotguns, but they don't, they're not like when Colin Farrell's at pre crime, they're not like, well, this is the six stick and this is how it's used and this is the shotgun and this is how it's used. Like they don't do that. which I greatly appreciate it because it almost lends itself to kind of a, as you use, like lived in feel of like, this is a world that is, this is just how it is. And we don't need to introduce you to every single part of it.
2: Well, like, I'm glad you brought up the weapons because what's interesting is like, so they established that this world doesn't have crime anymore. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that they use weapons that aren't really lethal. They talk about like, we haven't had a death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like crime-related death and so long. So it's interesting to see that we have a gun that doesn't shoot things, it's shoots sound waves to like push people around. And we have like the sick stick that kind of like incapacitates you without really like shooting things at you that are like a non-lethal way. And I like how the movie really like plays that up of like, like, yeah, they're cops and they have like the possibility of using weapons that could kill you but they don't they have all these weapons that are like non-lethal um not to mention the shotgun sound wave thing looks really cool when they use it yeah and and like and when it shoots people back it's like a really interesting way to like to look at it Mm -hmm. i think i don't know i think it's just just overall just like a very interesting feel
0: yeah um and just the kind of concept that as you mentioned they haven't been a death um in like six years since it started, uh, where the one of the pre crime guys is at the murder scene of Leo Crow and Colin Farrell or Danny, I forget his last name, but Danny's there and he's like, This is your first homicide scene? It's like, well, it hasn't been a crime in six years. He's like, Ah, before pre crime, I remember these. And it's like, just so, it's such a weird thing to be like, because in a movie like this, you're like, Oh, yeah, there's homicide scenes all the time, there's just cleanup crews, and you're like, Oh, this is a new concept for these guys, which is which is very weird to think of.
2: They don't even know how to handle the situation, right? Yeah. They get there and they don't even like they don't know how to read the crime scene because they never have one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was a an interesting concept. Yeah. The, so the the germaphobe in me cringes at the scene where he's in that apartment of the like the black market doctor. And that, like, none of those materials are sanitary.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I did not expect there to be like a tad bit of body horror in this movie. Um, (laughs) Like, at that scene in particular, I kind of thought to myself, like, we've seen a prison warden playing a pipe organ, a woman taking care of Harry Potter plants, (laughs) and now we're in like some Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation with eye transplants. (laughs) What is this movie?
2: (laughs) Well, like, the other thing is, like, that had some weird, like, comedy, too, where it's like, oh, like, you need to grab the good sandwich, but of course he grabs the bad one. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. And he's like, oh, don't grab that. He grabs the bad milk. And I'm just like, oh, whatever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, like, and it's a really interesting concept, and it's also kind of scary how much of this movie has come true. Um, like, for instance, every time he goes into, like, a store after he gets the transplant to get um, Agatha new clothes at the Gap, and it's like, welcome back, Mr. Yakamoto. Um, <laughs> yeah,
2: it's like a Chinese guy's eyes.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, okay. Um, like, how it just recognizes what you've bought before and like all the ads being personalized. Like even last week, I can remember an instance where I was looking up like a coffee maker on Amazon and then on Instagram or Facebook, I was getting ads for coffee makers. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't buy anything. I, it was a one-time thing. And now I'm just gonna get bombarded with these ads. <laughs> and I can only imagine 2002 before social media, before this AI, and these algorithms and this tracking happened people were like that's a terrifying future and now it's just commonplace <laughs> yeah we're living it yeah and it's it's not as invasive of like getting your eyes photographed every every time you go somewhere um but yeah it's just a very like i think what in retrospect what scared me more is how little i was surprised by like the targeted advertisement in the movie. I was like, oh, yeah, that's just a thing. I should be concerned about that. That's not a good thing.
2: And what's weird is the targeted advertisement in the movie is very obvious product placement. Oh, yeah. For the real world. (laughs) Yeah. Which is very, like, a strange concept in itself, where it's like, the movie is commentating on, like, invasive advertisements by doing invasive advertisements. Yeah. Like,
0: Guinness gap pepsi
2: yeah pepsi there's like um i'm trying to remember some of the other ones there's that whole mall scene where they're mm-hmm. in the mall and it's like back to back to back like everything like
0: yeah um and that scene with agatha in the mall was probably my favorite scene of the whole movie where she's just like seeing she's on like overload mm-hmm. of like the one woman goes by and she's like don't go home tonight he knows or like grab that umbrella or like turn left here no don't go there it's very
2: cool and uh, like i think that that scene kind of shows what this movie does really well and it's setting things up using it's like it's time i'm gonna say time manipulation because it's not really time travel but like the foresight of it all um it kind of sets that up really well so like you get scenes where it's like the oh stop right here and there's like somebody walking by or things like that. And I, I think it kind of l- lays the seeds to do stuff and have fun with it like that scene does. Mm-hmm. Um, but to to not go away from the, the idea of like the eye transplant real quick. Um, I think it's interesting to see that. So the whole movie is about these people that could see the future, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so like, the movie kind of has this theme of like, overall theme of sight.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, and like
2: how people see things, and I think it's interesting that like yeah, like we have this overall theme of like people seeing things, and then we have a scene where so a guy literally has to get his uh, his eyes exchanged for another set of eyes, um, and like that could comment on like how he sees the system or how he sees the other people around him, um, mm-hmm. because like his was an, well, John Anderton, I think is the lead character's name, if I remember yeah. right. Um. So like. He starts out the movie as like a full proponent of the system, right like he he's the guy, he's the poster child, but like as we experience it more, we start to see like he sees it as flawed to the point at the end of the movie where it's like, hey, we need to change not only our system but how the entire city is working because yeah. of, because of what we're doing um and I think that's interesting um so just throwing that out there,
0: yeah, um. It. it's funny you, you mentioned that site being a very big theme. Um, when I was, um, so I'm, of course, we're all social distancing, so I'm, um, we watched with my, my parents, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go record an episode of my podcast. Um, my mom's like, oh, you're talking about the iMovie? Hmm. That was how yeah. she described my network was the iMovie.
2: The iMovie. And, and it, it, I haven't seen that. I've never. I haven't seen that anywhere else, mm-hmm. right? And like going on 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 the the idea of like the eyes and sight is you get that really cool scene. And like yeah, it's kind of hokey, but I love it when he buys the drugs from the the homeless guy, like the drug dealer
3: mm-hmm. who also
2: mm-hmm. only has one eye. Mm-hmm. And he he like has he gives it. I'm pretty sure he gives him the drug that it's like he wants to see. His, his loved ones he wants to experience other things
0: mm-hmm.
2: and he i think the the if i remember right the drug i think it's called clarity
0: yeah so like there's just this this sight theme just keeps going
2: clarity <laughs> and he look, he's like are you looking for some clarity or something like that and that's when he gives him the drug mm-hmm. and then tells him like um in the land of the blind the one-eyed man is king and that's why he has like the one he literally has one eye
3: <laughs> yeah um,
2: So like when when everybody is blind, right? Like even the person who has who could slightly see what's wrong, is the one who's right. Um, And I think that like sets the tone for the rest of the story.
0: Because you have eye transplant, you have Agatha grabbing him and saying, "Can you see?"
2: Can you see? Um, Yeah. and, and, And so like it has like this overall like story of just about sight and theme of sight and seeing things um and maybe that's just like the english major and me like looking too into things because i've been doing that in lit classes but like Mm -hmm. i think that's it's interesting like how often it comes up Um, yeah
1: Um, i think there's something there
2: i think there's something there and because like a lot of people don't want to like come to terms with like what they're doing um Mm -hmm. so like that's like an interesting theme to me
0: yeah and like there's people want to i mean you have there's that whole like vr like nightclub that he takes agatha to oh
2: it's, so weird. it's um, so weird
0: where it's like you know you have one guy just like having sex with a woman which I'm like Okay, that makes. And, sense.
2: and it's so weird because he's like this really old guy, and the woman, um, the hologram woman, is like enormous.
0: <laughs> yeah, so like you have that, which I'm just like, okay, weird, but no shame.
2: And and then like the way, let's just real quick, like the way he's talking of, like you hear the guy in the machine, he's like, oh yeah, and it's like it's really like hokey and overdone, but like every time I see it, it just makes me laugh.
0: So weird, and then you have like the guy who like who's like there talking to the owner who's like i want to kill my boss like that's my yeah. fantasy which i'm like okay and then the one that was like the saddest is like the guy who's just standing there with people clapping around him
2: <laughs> that's all he wanted <laughs> he just wanted some minor
0: praise and i'm like minor oh, praise. that's yeah. that's unfortunate dude
1: adam did it give you a flashback to the star wars holiday special
0: oh god you know, <laughs> he, he, what, he, you know what a gem he what heard. a gem uh, that was one of the first episodes we did, Scott. Really? Have you sat through that whole thing before?
2: I have have seen the highlights. I, I
0: put it that way. We we watched all ninety minutes of it. <laughs>
2: <sighs> is oh, is it is is it quite quite as bad as George Lucas makes it out to be?
0: It, okay, let me put it this way, and then we'll get back to Minority Report.
2: Because I heard he destroyed all... the I've heard rumors that he's
0: destroyed every known copy. Well, what's funny is, of course, we all met at the University of Dayton.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, go, go Flyers. We, go Flyers. The only copy you can find on YouTube is from WHIO, Dayton, Ohio. It's a recording from serious? the local channel. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so, you know, some movies are so bad that they're funny there's like kind of this circle where it's like you start at the top of a good movie and then you dip down into a bad movie but then it kind of goes so bad it kicks itself back up to being a good movie this one is starting at the top it goes down to being bad starts to get a little weird you're like okay, this could be fun and then it falls right back down into being bad and like there are some bad movies that i love like the league of extraordinary gentlemen is a horrible movie that is a guilty pleasure of mine.
2: Oh, my guilty oh. pleasure is Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. No. But for some reason, I just yeah. I just love it.
0: Yeah. Do you, what's your while we're on the topic briefly, what's your guilty pleasure movie, Anthony?
1: My guilty pleasure movie? Mm-hmm. Um it would probably be. It would probably be Digimon the movie. That great, I grew up.
2: Great soundtrack. Oh, yes. Yes. Great I grew up being the biggest... soundtrack.
1: Yeah, yeah, I grew up being like the biggest Digimon fan.
2: So and... you weren't
0: a Pokemon guy, you were a Digimon guy.
1: Oh, all the way, yeah. All
0: Weird. the way. Interesting. Huh. Um, but so, like, those movies we can like go back and enjoy. The Star Wars Holiday Special is something I wish to never see again in my entire life.
1: Wait, wait, wait. wait. Okay, okay, Adam says this, but, so we we watched the holiday special two Decembers ago. This past December, he watched Highlights from it again.
0: There is one scene that I think is genuinely hysterical. It involves Chewbacca's wife watching a cooking tutorial, (laughs) and it's kind of funny. I think it's funny, but that's it.
2: Oh, i had you, like, watched a bunch
0: of... I don't know, just that. Like, oh, okay. I'm
2: shocked that they got the original cast to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's what kills me.
0: Well, like, they're only... The original cast, each person is only in it for maybe, like, a minute max. It's like, here's a cameo to be like, this is still Star Wars and not just some weird variety show, but, like, hologram porn is a part of the Star Wars Holiday Special.
2: Is it really?
0: Kind of. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, well, VR. VR porn. Um, also weird like, is
2: that, like, that holiday, and I haven't even seen all of it, but like that holiday special made, like, a weird connection with Star Wars to Christmas. It's and so... there is, like, there is, like, a weird connection between Star Wars and Christmas because of it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh Anyway,
0: um, but yeah. That's we're a conversation talking. for another day. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back to that. Hopefully never. Um, uh, when, is, when
2: is Disney going to remake that? Oh, uh-huh.
0: <laughs> The day that appears on Disney Plus is the day that Disney's given up on Star Wars.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I hope that day uh, never comes. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I think one of the best things about this movie is, as you said, it takes its time it's a slow build uh not the star wars holiday special uh, minority report
2: uh, <laughs> the holiday special is a slow burn <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was the slowest burn burn to my soul um <laughs> yeah. and what's great is that with any murder mystery or any kind of crime film i don't know about youtube but i always try to like figure it out try to like piece it together like i'm gonna figure this out before they get to it and I could not figure this out. Like the movie's so good at presenting just enough information that it's like, I think you got it now? No. There's a little more. No. A little more. So. Yet, were
2: you surprised by like the the, the 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 twist?
0: I which well which twist? The fact that it that Leo Crow was set up, or the fact that Burgess was the actual like murderer.
2: I was gonna say the, the Burgess one.
0: That one well the fact that they showed Anne Lively's murder, mm-hmm. Agatha showed um Anderton that first. I'm like, there's something with this. And I don't know what it is, but the mo I knew Burgess would be involved somehow in the murder. Only because during the um, the scene with Heinemann, she mentions to Anderton that only her and Burgess know of the minority reports. Sure. Only those two people know. So, and so it kind
2: of narrows it down. You're like, all right, so. Like, well, I think
0: like... Plant Lady did it.
2: Yeah.
0: So, uh, Burgess is somehow involved and... The murder of Leo Crow and the murder of Anne Lively are somehow connected, and I don't know how. So, I thought initially it was going to be that Agatha was leading um, Anderton to Anne Lively's actual murderer, and that's who Leo Crow was. I was like, oh, but then I thought that seems like way too small about like is this the main plot of Minority Report is like Tom Cruise is framed because of a woman drowning like that's not the biggest revelation like I can think of so it did surprise me that it was Burgess who committed the murder what was your thought on the twist the first time you saw it
2: I think I think my thought on the twist is I I really like how they go about setting up the murder.
3: Mm-hmm. So it's
2: like we have, she. The, so the, the precog predicts that, hey, this murder happened and we have the video from her mind, right? We see it, but we have, we know that the sometimes not all the precogs agree on on the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting to say, well, not only did he do it. So like, we know that like, he committed the murder but then we have this elaborate cover-up that was like a really like this is where i get into like hey like we're having fun with our own concept right so we have the concept that hey these people predict the future it's like but what if somebody committed the murder to look exactly like the one that they predicted
3: Mm -hmm. except
2: so they are but they had them arrest the wrong guy so like they're seeing the murder and, Mm -hmm. and so i thought that was interesting um I I was I was pretty surprised with the with the 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 thing. I was like, yeah, like I I knew I always thought he would be involved as well, but I didn't think it would be the extent that they had it go. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the one the uh, the other scene that really I found really interesting is the other set the setup of Tom Cruise's character, right? Mm -hmm. So. The movie spends like an hour giving you planting its seeds of like this is how the murder, his murder, when he kills somebody, this is how it looks. This is how it like there's the guy at the window, and then there's this this the number on the door. This is him shooting the guy. But you don't know Mm -hmm. the situation. All you know is this is the is like all the factors. So when you get to the scene where he's gonna kill uh Leo Crow. Like it's really interesting because it just this, Spielberg just lets the scene happen and slowly shows you, oh, this is the detail. Oh, okay, this is the detail that you know, and it kind of goes in the order until you realize, oh, this is why it happens. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what I find so interesting is that it all of its planting of the seeds and then slowly coming together to form that scene.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think it's genius. Yeah. Huh. And, like, even going off of that, I think what's interesting at the core of this movie and at the core of a lot of Philip K. Dick's books is this idea, is the theme of fate versus free will, which is, like, classic sci-fi in general. Like, almost every sci-fi movie does this. Like, do I, am I I in control of my own choices or is everything I do fated to happen? Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, the way the movie plays with this is that the precogs the people who predict the future have the understanding that you can choose whatever you want to do like you you're you're not fated but Burgess, the own the the head of the department would have you believe you don't you can, you're fated to do whatever it is my future tellers tell like predict you're going to do and there's no way around it which a lot of the movie is concerned with saying, "Hey, hey, this is how it works." Um, up until the point where Tabitha can tells Tom Cruise, "Like you could still make your choice," which leads to like the most emotional part of the movie when he decides not to kill Leo Crow, a man that he has every right to want to kill, for as far as he knows. And I think it brings it to this interesting concept of like. Am I fated to do whatever I, I i am like fated to do this, or do I have the choice
3: mm-hmm.
2: um which which is then like thrown throughout the whole movie? they constantly go back to like that 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 idea um yeah, and I yeah. think that's like it's a good commentary, and like I don't know about you i I almost tear up at the scene where he's like about to crying his eyes out and he's reading him as Miranda writes
3: because yeah. he's like' not
2: gonna do it mm-hmm. um i I don't know, I think that's a good. It's a cool scene. It is. It is. I don't know. Yeah. And Anthony, what do you?
1: What do you? What do you think? Pretty. I think pretty deep stuff. I love it when when we get to explore these ideas, and and like that's one of my favorite parts of art in general and movies is just the the discussions and the, the thoughts that it brings up.
0: Yeah, like this movie, it's one of those things where. <clears throat> It And other movies do this as well. Um, but like the the concept of like, here's a system that is infallible, that has never failed before. And as the audience, the, for like the first hour of the film, you're thinking like, okay, yes, the system is infallible. There's Tom Cruise will kill this man. He will do this. So how is he going to break the unbreakable system?
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, the odds are all
0: stacked against him, right? And then when you see that he, in essence, the future still comes true, but not at Tom Cruise's hands, but at Leo Crow's hands. Um, it it's just very just fascinating.
2: It's fascinating yeah. to see that there's no perfect system.
0: Yeah, and the concept that because Burgess knew that Anderton would like. There's so many layers in thinking of like how Burgess set up Anderton by knowing how the precogs work. Mm-hmm. Of like, ah, if I so Agatha's already shown Anderton that there's something up with the Ann Lively murder. He's already on the trail. I need to get him off that trail ASAP so let me get a guy who anderton would likely kill or make up a character who anderton would likely kill so then anderton will kill him predicting the future thus getting him out of the way mm-hmm. but uh yeah as i say it out loud it's so genius
2: yeah see that's what i'm saying like I, it just it it has layers it's a it's a thinking man sci-fi movie that, like like you brought up iRobot earlier, and I would argue that iRobot's more of an action movie, and this and they're they're kind of similar in the way that they're like a sci-fi detective story. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one wants to discuss like more complicated concepts. It wants to not always have a big action scene. Besides the car scene, uh, the scene where the where the building of the car around him, there there really isn't a lot of action going on. No. Um, this is which is which is different for Tom Cruise movies. Uh, you know, he's usually the action star, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I think it's a nice change of pace. Um it expects more out of its audience. It that's, does. Uh, that's what I, I I've always always thought. Um
0: it's done in a way that it it explains everything to you without treating the audience like they're idiots.
2: Oh yeah. It's like, that's, that's so often in sci-fi movies. How many sci-fi movies are like, all right, like this, let me, let me like stop the movie real quick and I'll explain how the movie works. And then we'll keep going forward. Um, There's usually, and they kind of do that a little bit with Colin Farrell's character. There's usually a character in a sci-fi movie who doesn't know anything. Mm -hmm. So they can, so the movie can explain it to that character, therefore explaining it to the audience.
0: Right um it's done though in a way because it frames him as he's from the fbi mm
2: -hmm.
0: trying to like the attorney general wants to basically take over pre-crime so let's find the fallacies in pre-crime before we go through with this and like the use of the wooden ball Mm -hmm. when the movies first started again the first thing we see is you know agatha saying murder and then like dipping her head into water And then we just see this wooden ball being carved, and I'm like, I don't know what's happening here. (laughs) Like, Yeah,
2: it's kind of presenting it to you in a way.
0: Yeah, and then they explain, I'm like, why are they using wooden balls if this is like the future? (laughs) And then when they explain, like, we use the wooden balls because each one has a unique grain and a unique color, so that way it's infallible that we can't say that we were that like it
2: tampering was tampering. With it. yeah well what i think is interesting is like Burgess comes in and he wants this perfect system but realizes the only way to stop crime is to actually is kill somebody which i think is an interesting concept like the road to hell is paved with good intentions um mm-hmm. and i think that that like purely defines like what he's doing right like at the end of the day he has a good like he He wants a good society and he wants to stop crime, right? The problem is he's, he's like adding to the crime that he's trying to stop. And I think that creates a, like, a more in-depth thought. Like anytime you can sympathize, not sympathize, but like understand what the villain, why the villain is doing what he's doing Mm -hmm. really gives you a moment of like, all right, like, they're more it's a more interesting villain right Mm -hmm. rather than just because this this movie could have been just like oh i'm just gonna have some crazy sci-fi bullshit plot and the villain's a bad guy because he's bad Mm -hmm. um like how many marvel movies have i sat through where the villain is bad because they're bad and like so like i think it's an interesting like like a character study where you can say all right like why is he doing it okay i understand why he's doing it It doesn't Mm -hmm. make what he's doing any better,
3: Um, right?
2: It is more compelling, and like, and and the hero, and and Tom Cruise, John Anderson, is a completely flawed character, right? He's a drug addict, Mm -hmm. um, and he's completely broken. Um, that's why he's he's stuck in the past, and he's taking drugs to relive moments with his dead wife, his his wife, who's not dead, but his dead son, Mm -hmm. um, which is also heartbreaking when you when you think when he's talking to it too like it's so sad um which is a whole nother thing but
0: yeah but yeah just a very and this always happens on this podcast where i will anthony and i will have watched a movie i'll have a mixed opinion on it and then it solidifies when we talk about it and the more i've talked about it the more i really like this movie
2: what was, your, what was your, your criticism? I'm curious. Besides for the, the, besides for the weird, like, I don't understand why they have horses and regular cars and other cars. And,
0: yeah, like, other uh, than technological inconsistencies, other, um, other than horses. Horses aside. Horses aside. Uh, I, I always find it just interesting and at times annoying when it's like and Blade Runner does this to a degree as well. Um, the first one especially like the not only are the sets like dirty and like and like alien for example like grungy and like lived in but like the film looks old the film looks distorted the lighting's a bit off um and this happened came out in 2002 Mm -hmm. Um, and another big sci-fi movie if you want to call it sci-fi or fantasy whatever you want to call it um, the second prequel of Star Wars has come out the same year Um, it's the same year
2: as as Attack of the Clones
0: yeah and what's idea is that while Attack of the Clones the people, just the scenes with the the humans and no aliens um, Mm -hmm. is cleaner the CGI in Minority Report Holds up way more than anything in Attack of the Clones, and at the same time, the film looks older. Like this looks like a movie that could have been shot like in the '70s or '60s, just with the way the lighting is, and it almost like someone rubbed like Vaseline on the lens or something, and was just like, let's just film with an oily lens on there today, and things look a little distorted. Um, but it just it works
2: but what the what 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 star wars has that minority report doesn't have is the commentary on sand and how coarse it is <laughs> um, i mean it's got, it's got it doesn't have any of that um no but, but like was there any like story points or anything that you just didn't buy or like any other what were your other gripes besides for like the some of the world world stuff
0: I think just the 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 strangeness of some of the characters for the sake of being strange, like I'll buy Dr. Heinemann being this, you know, she created the precogs unintentionally, and she's kind of secluded herself because she's like, it's now part of a system that I helped to create, and now I see, knowing Minority Reports exist, like I see the flaws in it, so I'm just gonna hide away from the world because if I spoke out. I wouldn't want because I can tell that like her and Burgess are like close, and like they had a friendship at some point. If they still aren't friends, and she's like, I wouldn't want to like hurt my friend and like all he's built here, because I know there's one minor flaw. Um, But like, just the the eye doctor, if you want to call him that, um, <laughs> the, the optometrist, opto- <laughs> yeah, the, the twisted optometrist, um, and like. The the sentry at the pre-crime prison, I guess you could say. Just, like, um, being weird for the sake of being weird.
2: So they were almost like caricatures in a way. It
0: was like, yeah, it's like, here's this hard, gritty sci-fi with these high-level concepts. But here's the warden who, like, has a, a, a hot plate over here and has breakfast left over and he plays the pipe organ.
2: Yeah, it's a little like, weird. He's kind of creepy
0: yeah it's like because in the future people are just that weird um i don't know it just it's like you think in pre-crime because he mentions how like none of the pre-crime officers ever go down there so you have to imagine this is all in one building so you have like burgess's office which looks like it's from like the 60s and then you have pre-crime which is super futuristic and it's like we don't go downstairs because that's where the weird pipe organ playing prison warden lives <laughs>
2: It's not where we keep all the bodies. It's like no, that's where the that's where the pipe organ guy is at. Yeah. And trust me, yeah, you don't want to talk to him.
0: And like the way he refers to him, he's like another soul to join my flock. I'm like,
2: yeah, really weird. Really weird.
0: Like it, it. It never was indicated. Like oh, well, he was in pre crime, and then he like he got injured, and so we put him down here, and he's just weird now. Or anything. It's just like, he's just weird for the sake of being weird. And like, the movie doesn't, like, if they, everyone was acting like slightly off, I'd be like, okay, so this is just the world we're in. But like, everything's very grounded. And mm-hmm. then you have like the sky and Heinemann and the eye doctor. And I'm like, oh, the eye doctor, I'll buy. He's probably up on some drugs.
2: Or whatever, <laughs> we'll, like, we'll give him the, the, the pass card, right? <laughs> yeah, and like the drug
0: dealer who's just like spouting wisdom, you know. One eyed I don't know, kingdom of the blind, the one eyed man is king. Yeah, you
2: know? but yeah, other than that, ta- can we talk about the, the ending, the actual ending, mm-hmm. um, with the scene where they have like the big ceremony and they give him the gun, <laughs> yeah. um. Which like the 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 commemorative gun, um, I don't know. I thought I thought that was interesting, and the whole thing where Tom Cruise like, she like he now knows everything, right? He figured it out, and like he's showcasing it in front of these people. Can you imagine being somebody in in the audience at that? And they're like, oh oh my god, there he is, and he's he's killing that woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I no, but like, and so what i found super interesting is so we have this whole deal where um the precogs predict the death and this and that and like i love that scene where tom cruise is sitting on the balcony waiting for him right Mm -hmm. and burgess comes in and says this line something like do you hear that they're not coming like Mm -hmm. they know like i don't hear the the stomping of boots or the spiders coming to like they're not gonna come and get me and you think he's gonna kill Tom Cruise and I Mm -hmm. love that instead of it's like he he knows he lost Mm -hmm. he knows like like he knows at the end of the day like the system isn't as good as he wanted to and he put so much faith in it and so he kills himself at the end and like nobody stops him yeah kind of thing um which is also, very interesting to look at when you see that people that all they do is try to stop murders,
0: yeah, they it's like
2: stop the one that at the other boss at the very end, which is an interesting like mm-hmm. dynamic.
0: And, like, it's I think it was a very interesting thing when he got to kill Danny because it's a, also a good thought twist where we have Danny who you think, oh, he's the bad guy, he's gonna shut pre crime down he set up Tom Cruise so that the Attorney General can just be like, look, this system's flawed. But then once they know that Tom Cruise has Agatha, Burgess is like, because once Danny puts it together and is like, oh, you killed him, or someone,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Burgess you know, is like, well, the, the precogs aren't working right now.
2: Yeah, and the whole thing with the waves, the ripples of the waves are going different ways, and that's like the slightest detail yep. that is able that they're able to pick up on was like why is it different
3: mm-hmm. just
2: because like it, it, like it's a different time of day a different wind or a different spot or whatever yeah um, which like leads me to like my last like thing that I love my last scene that I really love is at the very beginning how they show Tom Cruise looking at the the screens mm-hmm. and they have like the the classical music playing and he's like trying to make out the murder from like the two like the the five second clip that he's able that he's given Mm -hmm. um i think that is just that's like the one scene out of this movie that's kind of like referenced other places i've seen like scenes like that like in simpsons or like other different parodies and stuff um Mm -hmm. but i think that's like a really cool scene especially for a time when they didn't really have touch screens (laughs) um uh, to kind of show like how they're doing that how he's doing it um, I thought that was like really interesting,
0: and I like that that he uses classical music, and that like this is a normal thing for him because like when Danny's there, the, the African American guy Jad, like they get the pre-crime report comes in, Danny's watching, and they turn on the music, and Jad's like, "Oh, I love this part. I love
3: this. Yeah. I love he does this. This is
2: so cool. I don't know. I I love this movie. I absolutely love it. Um, I." I, I'm glad I'm glad everybody's watching it because I, I have like this ongoing thing of like a list of mine that's like the best movies that nobody's watching. <laughs> um, and I always throw this on the list because like for some reason it really falls through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I was like really surprised when I go near an undergrad and like nobody had seen it. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I thought the same thing with bringing it back, bringing it back to Blade Runner. I think Blade Runner 2049 is like the best movie that nobody's like nobody gave a damn about. Mm. and so I think I don't know. I these are always like very cemented on my list of like I don't know why nobody's watching it, but I think people should.
0: Just out of curiosity, what are the other movies on your list that people aren't watching but should be watching? Um
2: so oh, I since I love sci fi, a lot of them are sci fi. Um there did you guys ever see Gattaca? No. I watched clips of Gattaca in a biology class in high school. I just watched it recently and I've seen it multiple times, but like that one's on there. Gattaca, um, the two Blade Runners are always on there. Um, There's also a buddy cop movie that I think is really good that nobody watched. Did you ever guys ever see the nice guys?
1: Oh no! But I remember
0: you talking about
2: it. It has Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. Yeah,
0: I never saw. I've never seen the trailers and thought it looked good. When I never saw it, it.
2: I think I I love everything about that one. I think that's a great movie, and nobody saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, another one I had watched recently was like, uh, not recently. I I I always had to talk about was like, Do you guys ever see Logan Lucky? Yes.
1: yes. I've not.
2: I think that, that's a great movie. Nobody talks about it, or even like I don't think anybody even saw it. Um, has Channing Tatum and Adam Driver and Daniel Craig,
0: mm-hmm. Seth
2: MacFarlane is in it for for like a hot second. Um, yeah, but I like-
1: feel like I, I, this. So this movie made me see because in this movie Daniel Craig plays this like Southern guy, like really this is Southern, before yeah. Knives Out, right? Like- exactly, yeah. It made me see, oh dang, like it, it shows like <laughs> what he can do before Knives Out.
2: And you can also be funny.
1: Yes, super funny,
2: (laughs) Adam. If you haven't seen that one, it's all about like Channing Tatum and Adam Driver are these like hicks in the deep south that want to pull off like it's like a bank heist movie, but they're trying to rob a NASCAR track. And (laughs) it it, 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 like it's funny, but like it's it it feels like an Ocean's movie, like Ocean's Mm Eleven, but except they're all like hicks in the deep south, and they're and it all revolves around NASCAR. Interesting. Um, yeah I, that one is always on there um i'm trying to think of other ones um either, either way those are ones that always come up come to mind maybe ones like looper i don't know if you ever saw looper that mm-hmm. one's always kind of on there for me another good that's another good sci-fi one um I
0: always time. in my mind get looper and jumper Confused, and I know there are two very different movies. I still oh like I, that's another yeah. one
2: too, though. I like Jumper as well. <laughs> um, and then like one last one that I w- I would throw on there that like I think a lot of people did see this. Um, but <laughs> did you guys ever see Arrival?
0: No, I haven't, but I've heard it's amazing.
2: It's amazing. It's a. Am- In fact, I I wouldn't be against saying that Arrival is maybe the best sci-fi movie of the decade. I wouldn't be against saying that. I I think it's perfect. Yeah. Everything that that movie does, I think is absolutely perfect. Um also very good book as well. It's a short story, so it's not super long, but the book is amazing as well. Um and that's like I could talk about that one for days, but though that's kind of like my list. Um,
0: now we had seen for the the podcast um last year Anthony and I had both watched Annihilation.
2: Great, I, thats another one. Nobody seems to watch that one either.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was also great.
2: Um, yeah. I will say, when I watched Annihilation, seeing it in the theater and seeing it at home was like two different experiences. Mm. Um, when I—I don't—I don't know if anybody either either of you saw it in the theater.
1: No, no we no. saw it in my work office yeah.
2: on the <laughs> by computer and that's the the only way to do it um but when I saw that movie it was like it was really scary in the theater it was really really scary in theaters and I remember I went with two of my best friends and I don't know if I we all three of us I don't know if we had, had been so unsettled by a movie um the scene with the bear like watching it yeah. at home wasn't very scary, but I remember when I saw that in the theater for the first time and I saw the scene with the bear and I was like, holy crap, this is like one of the scariest scenes I had ever seen. And then I watched it at home and was like, yeah, it's scary, but like, I don't know, something about seeing it in the theater. Um, I think,
0: cause we watched it, as Anthony said, in his office with the lights on. Um, So, but yeah, the bear scene was very unnerving, but I wouldn't call it scary, but I can see having it on the big screen, darkened room.
2: And it's also super loud, and the soundtrack to that movie is very unsettling.
0: Yeah, I, so what's funny is, I've gotten more, I've gotten less picky when listening to music, Mm -hmm. and I'll just like put on like my whole album, whatever I have in my library like saved, um, I'll just like shuffle all the songs, But the Annihilation soundtrack is in there. And so to be like, here's a Beatles song. Here's a Broadway musical song. Here's Annihilation. It's like. Uh,
2: It's like really creepy. Um, I'm going to skip this one. I'm
0: a little scared right now.
2: (laughs) Well, like, and honestly, like this actually, I want to, I was curious to get your guys' thoughts because I think this correlates with like a really big issue right now, which is the, did you guys hear about the business with AMC theaters and Universal? yes
0: yeah and, and really I,
2: I, I'd be curious to know because I know you guys love movies mm-hmm. like what your thoughts were about how AMC and Universal are like duking it out now um, and for your listeners if you don't know basically AMC theaters said that they won't they won't air Universal films because how Universal set out to like set out Trolls 2 to Straight On Demand and it made a lot of money. And Universal's like, hey, well, if it makes a lot of money, maybe we'll do more movies this way. And then the theater was like, well, we won't show you any of your movies, then. We won't, we, won't, we won't present any of them. Yeah. I,
0: I saw an interesting video from a movie reviewer that I watch on YouTube. I don't know if other of you are familiar with Chris Stuckman.
2: I watch Chris yeah. Stuckman all the
1: time. He's the best sure? okay, movie reviewer yeah. on YouTube. He's from the Cleveland area from
0: where yeah. I'm from. Yeah, he's great. Um, if you go go listen, if you haven't, don't watch him. Go listen or go watch uh, Chris document. He's great. Um, but he was had his whole video on with VOD um, and like with trolls 2 and like how Universal released um, like The Invisible Man and I'm dying to
2: see
0: Emma. All <laughs> the Invisible Man would recommend. Very good. I'm um, dying to see it. But like the the kind of, par- not paradox, but the issue that's come up with this um, quarantine that everyone seems to be in, or not seems to be, is in. With, this,
2: new, this new story.
0: <laughs> this new narrative that's arisen in the story of humanity of uh, COVID-19. Um, like, if it's so easy for Universal to release films this way, as Chris Stockman postulates, like, you think the the movie theater industry has to sell so many tickets to make a profit off of a film. And minor, minor profit, because it's all concessions, pretty much. And like additional stuff, like paying for luxury seats, or paying for what have you, know, what have you. Um, but on the consumer side, thinking with Trolls 2, for example, like if it's a family of, say, six, two parents, four kids, you know, those two parents go to see Invisible Man, that's like 20 bucks, 30 bucks max. You're like, okay, that's reasonable. But you go to take the whole family to see Trolls 2, that's over like $100 to see one movie versus I'll pay 20 bucks to have it basically rented for 48 hours and we can all watch it together and we can pause it and we can rewind it. And like we just basically get to own the movie for two days for a fraction of the price. And it's kind of this thing where... There are those, I would say, like us, who enjoy going to the theater. Like, Mm -hmm. I enjoy the experience of going to the theater, getting a big old soda, big old thing of popcorn, and just, you know, having a good time in the theater, enjoying that experience. And there are a lot more people, I would say, who can just kind of bypass that. They're just like, I wanna see the movie. I don't care if I see it in the theater or if I see it at home. And more and more I've heard, I'll wait, I'll wait till it comes to Netflix. I'll wait till it comes to DVD. Like, it used to be, I'll wait till it comes to DVD or Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Now it's, I'll wait till it comes to Netflix. Wait till it comes to Disney+, Plus. wait till it comes to HBO Max or whatever the new streaming service is. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of in this time where the theaters are like, do we need these deals with these theater chains? Or the studios are thinking, do we need these deals with the theater chains if we can just
2: bypass them their home? Yeah, well, take out the middle man. Well, yeah. I think the one thing, the couple things that I thought with it was that, one, what Chris Stuckman talks about that I think is hilarious is suddenly Trolls 2 ha- is like a milestone in cinema. And, <laughs> and yeah. like, who the, who the hell cares? But like, what I think the studio is, so the studio is saying, hey, we made a lot of money off this, sure. Mm-hmm. I would love to know if they would have made that much money on it at a time when everybody is not stuck in their homes right
0: absolutely not right because you're thinking like a family like i said like a family of six is not going to go to the theater they're probably going to be like we'll wait till it comes to dvd or red box or whatever you know and we'll just do that versus we wanted to go to the theater we only have this option and i feel like for amc to basically say we're not going to show any universal film is very short-sighted, and I agree I, with it. It's I do. a very situational issue that's come up, and, I like, think- I mean, the theaters depend on the studios as much as the studios depend on the theaters now, or they did, before all this happened, and so it's a very interesting thought of, like, what what will that future be like if this happens again? Because, I mean, some, at least here in the US, some predictions are that, I mean, a lot of states are opening up um, very loosely. Don't know if movie theaters will be included in some of that opening. Um, we are Ohio based, so we're all experiencing the same thing, at least in terms of what our governor is doing. And
2: shout out to Mike
0: DeWine. Shout <laughs> out to Mike DeWine. Hey. Um, and like the if we open up fully come like July or August, some scientists are predicting that we could go back into social distancing come like November. And so it's kind of this thought process of like do we do theaters like I don't know like what's going to happen to the movie theater chains?
2: I think that I I think it if so let's say studios start Putting them on demand more like they're doing. Mm -hmm. Personally, I probably would see less new movies. I don't because I don't know how you guys operate, but there's like movies that I really want to see that I'll be like, I'm gonna go the night of to go see Mm -hmm. Star Wars. But then you get movies like The Invisible Man that I'll be like, well, I'm not. I'd like to see it, but I don't want to spend full price to see it. So I'll go on Tuesday when it's only five bucks.
0: But if you're sending it
2: straight to demand, suddenly my viewership is I don't want to pay $20 to watch Invisible Man, which would probably be, but I, then again, I don't have a family that I'm going to be sharing it with. And yeah, I guess we could split it up between friends, but even still my thought process would be, Oh, I got to pay extra for this movie. I'll just watch something else. I have all of these streaming services and Netflix and Disney plus or whatever. I'll find something.
0: Right in a way i feel like there could be almost a dichotomy that forms between what studios produce because like smaller films that could be riskier that could not make as much money those studios could then have like an on-demand like if universal wanted to continue doing on-demand even after this pandemic passes like say there's like indie films that universal wants to put their money into but it might not be a safe bet it might be a little too out there or not as well-known names We'll put it on Universal On Demand. But then the bigger budget, well-known, these Tom Cruise, Minority Report, you know, action movies, Spielberg, you know, what have you. Like, put them on the big screen. Send those to theaters. But then if you want a another Universal film, do it On Demand. And for AMC to basically say, like, is AMC going to start... I mean, thinking, like, Disney is like, we were going to release Artemis Fowl, if you think of, remember... Remember no, Artemis Fowl? Well? Like, that was, was supposed to be out in theaters. That like,
2: that's probably the best thing that's going to happen to that movie, though.
0: Yeah. So, like, they're switching to, to video on demand. So, like, is, or going to, taking it to Disney Plus. So, like, is AMC going to get up in arms against Disney? Of, like, well, you, if, you know, viewership of Artemis Fowl is so big, <laughs> then it's, like, that could have been our money. Because that's I, not- what it comes down to is amc basically is like that should have been our money for trolls Two, and you made too much so we're done
2: if disney if disney says we're doing everything disney plus then it's game over disney owns everything they own everything um but i don't think i don't think you'll never see the day at least in our lifetime i don't think you're ever gonna see something like the new Star Wars movie is coming straight to Disney+. plus never right never there's just too much money to be made out not alone not only on ticket sales for things like that and I think that the universal business right now is going to fly over because can you imagine watching a Jurassic world movie on straight to demand yes, I just, yes. I, I, it's just i i don't <laughs> think it, it can't, i can't picture it there's something about without having a theatrical release, it seems like it would just be like a straight to Netflix movie, which some of them are good, Mm -hmm. some. I just, just, it's almost like there's a validity to it. Like, this seems more valid because I had to go somewhere to see it. Well, I I feel like that's breaking with like
1: Netflix's The Irishman or Marriage Story.
0: mm -hmm, Because like both of those, they were in theaters for like two weeks. Mm -hmm. In, like, New York and L.A., and then they just stop. They just were, like, rent to Netflix. And so it's, like, yes, this was a theatrically released film. At the same time, you could also watch on Netflix.
2: See, I would make the argument, though, that The Irishman and Marriage Story, one, love Marriage Story. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Really good movie. But with The Irishman, which is probably the bigger, like, apparently, I, I think the bigger name of the two is did people care about it Mm. and yes i know it was up for an oscar it didn't win any and when i saw i watched all the oscar movies it was easily my least favorite one um it was a three and a half hour long movie Yeah, yeah and let's face it i don't think if that movie was even in the theaters i think it's a hard draw for somebody to be like hey let's spend the next four hours in this theater watching a mob movie by martin scorsese i don't think it would have made any money
0: right and the Um, other big movies we were talking about this before we were recording like avengers endgame was three hours long but you think that's that's the finale to this whole big thing so it makes sense people are going to spend the time to watch the finale but here's just one movie about one mobster mm -hmm. who some people might know about for three and a half hours that's true. I don't know. Well,
2: then the other thing with that movie that got me, and I think comparing it to Endgame, which is as long, but that's like a crowd-pleasing comic book movie, right? Mm-hmm. The The Irishman, I would argue, I don't even think it needed to be made. Like, this is the same <laughs> movie that Martin Scorsese, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro have been making for years, years. I mean, it's the same movie. Um, I just... Beyond that, I don't think Netflix had an, eri- maybe, maybe Bird Box, maybe, but like the Netflix popularity, especially with film, is like gone in an instant. Like people yeah. talked about Bird Box for like two seconds. Yeah. And that yeah. was like really popular.
0: And it's, it's interesting just to see the institution that is cinema, that is filmmakers, and how their perception of Netflix has changed over the years. Because I remember, yeah. did either of you ever see Okja? Or Okja?
2: Really, I actually, I like
0: Okja. Okja's good. I do. Um, it's made by the now Academy Award winning director Bong Joon-ho of Parasite.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, I also really like Parasite. Um, and when that premiered, when Okja premiered at like, the Cannes Film Festival and the Netflix logo popped up, some filmmakers and critics in the audience got up and left Mm -hmm. they they booed it and they're just like no because this is against the industry of cinema on the like stake of tradition but then you look at marriage story and i don't know about the irishman you know but marriage story like
2: that's a hot take for me and the irishman you could definitely include it i just
0: yeah well like those two movies still got critical acclaim Mm -hmm. and so it's been four or five years since Okja came out and then these movies came along and they were more widely accepted I don't know I think we're just we're in the middle of what was already a like paradigm shift that was already existing in the film industry and I feel that this pandemic will only hasten or prove that that paradigm shift is wrong
2: see maybe I am maybe I'm in the minority and maybe I just, I don't like change, but which could be completely right. But what I'm saying is that I like the experience. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to see the day where I can't go to the theater with my friends to see the latest Star Wars. Right. Mm -hmm. And I bring that up because like, and I think both of you probably were there, but you remember when we went to go see Force Awakens for the first time at the premiere and it was like a big experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I and, 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 that. and that's what I'm afraid you'll miss.
0: Yeah, like, and that one in particular, it was like ten degrees.
2: Yeah, <laughs> standing outside
0: for a while because the long for line...
2: a long time. <laughs> yeah, like it was an experience, and I think that that's the kind of thing you'll 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 lose. Yeah, yeah. I'd hate I'd to see that. I um, hate to
0: see it as well. And I, I mean, at the end of the day, and this is true of many industries, you know, money talks. And,
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. If, and if
0: the industry is saying, and the studios are like, why do we need the theaters? Because before anti-monopoly laws were in effect, like there were Warner Brother theaters and there were Universal theaters and there were MGM theaters that only showed those theaters, that studios. Sure. And then when the anti-monopoly, like antitrust laws came out against Hollywood, then you didn't see that anymore. But actually recently, um, those anti trust Hollywood laws have been revoked um and so there have been some murmurings before the pandemic that Disney was looking to set up like disney specific theaters in certain cities that would be for specific Disney releases, whether it be marvel star wars mm. Fox, disney um and yeah so it's it's very interesting um
2: it's on, we, we live in, if, if the commercials have taught me anything that I've been watching now, is we live on uncertain times. <laughs> we um, live on
0: uncertain times.
2: Yeah, every, every commercial is always, I swear, it's like, we live in uncertain times. We're going to get through this together. And that we should buy two for six sandwiches at Arby's. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> but no, it, but like the sentiment, like, yeah, like this is, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think. Mm. But, well, thank you for coming on the podcast today, thanks Scott. Thanks
2: for having me. I I I love talking about mo- movies, let alone just Minority Report. Um, yeah,
0: but, and this was yeah. like a a good podcast that had both Minority Report and just industry. Yeah, like,
2: I I, well, it, I I've been wanting to talk about it with other people, and I've been like debating it with some of my other friends, and it's just an interesting conversation.
0: I yeah. Think. So, but well. Well, again, thank you very much for coming on. This has been another episode of AA CinemaCast. Uh, we are trying to get back to a more normal schedule. Um, Anthony and I, as we've talked about before, have been in grad school. Um, that is slowing down for us. Uh, so hopefully we'll be getting back to a more regular recording and posting schedule. So look forward to that. And this has been AA CinemaCast.
3: Nice!